Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It is hard to fathom that on the eve of the decision to pick a site for the Cuyahoga County Jail, we learn at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer that the site they've chosen was rejected as too poisonous for a state prison 40 years ago, and they didn't know that. That's one of the top stories on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa, Laura, and Layla Atassi. Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnson, and Layla Atassi. On a sunny day, I'm I'm just kind of confused because I see sunlight outside. I don't know what to do. Get out those cheap sunglasses. What is that? <laughs> they're trying they're trying to re take off my entire attic roof that for our remodel today and get a new one on on the same day because it's been so rainy they haven't been able to do any work. So it's hopefully, fingers crossed, it's no rain today. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll see. Let's begin. Did the state of Ohio decide in 1982 that the number one choice as a site for a new county jail was too contaminated a site to build a new state prison? Leila Tassi, this is the most dumbfounding story in weeks. Yes, surprising but true piece of history that appears to have been completely overlooked by the committee that is responsible for vetting sites for the new jail in Cuyahoga County. The site that they have settled on as their number one choice for the county jail on Transport Road was once the site where the state in the 1980s under Governor Jim Rhodes wanted to locate the state prison that eventually ended up in Grafton. A search through the Plain Dealer archives showed the site was a former standard oil refinery. We knew that found to be riddled with potentially hazardous chemicals. There was tetraethyl lead used in making gasoline, sludge, asphalt, hydrocarbon liquids and vapors, solvents like kerosene, acidic residue, and asbestos. There was also the possible presence of PCBs, which is a highly toxic industrial compound that can cause developmental and neurological problems. All of that stuff would need to be removed or remediated before the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections could have begun building its 1,250-bed facility there. But eventually, you know, state officials decided that the $4 million in three to five years it would have taken to clear the contamination made the site just a disastrous choice, and they moved on. And so the state took its, you know— $76 $76 million reformatory to Lorraine County, where its men prisons, men's prison stands today. And, uh, you know, city and state officials said back then that they were never told the extent of the contamination until just really just before the sale of the land was finalized. And now, fast forward to the present moment, the jail steering committee is voting this morning 
on whether to potentially make that same site the future home of the jail and commit resources to the first steps of remediating this brownfield. And last night, Caitlin Durbin called a couple of the committee members and and they told her that they were unaware of the site's history and the fact that its extensive contamination caused the state to pull the plug on its prison plan decades ago. Right. I mean, the potential PCBs is what jumped out. Here's the thing. We learned of this site fairly recently because they've done all their planning in secret. And we found this out. They've been studying this site for months and months, had consultants help them. Had consultants. How can they not? Real estate consultants. What are they paying their consultants for if not to do that kind of research? So here's my question, Layla, because I I think this is unbelievable. There's no way they could accidentally not know this. Nobody's that dumb. Is this intentional? You know, there is a rush to get shovels in the ground this year before Armand Budish leaves office because the candidates that are running to replace him, he's not running again, have other ideas. And they may not go with Jeff Applebaum as the finance guy. So is there a chance they're hastening this process, not doing the proper due diligence to mess with the administrations to come? What other explanation is there for this level of incompetence? I I mean, I see what you're saying, but the work that it took to find this kind of information is like a day of work for a consultant. (laughs) And they, like you said, had months. It took me an hour. An hour. Yeah, right. I I just don't, I'm not buying it that the months and months of of, uh, vetting these sites and coming up with this as their number one, uh, you know, that's not a rush to commit to. I mean, they had so many sites to choose from. Maybe at this point they're, they're, they, you know, they're rushing to, 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 to commit to it, but they certainly just didn't do due diligence in, in the selection process. Somebody just failed to do their job. That's just I, a failure. I, my bet is because they're pigheaded and incompetent, they might stand on this and say, well, we don't know the level. We, there's There's been some cleaning since then. So we don't know what's there. We still think it's the right thing to do, which may or may not be true. But the fact they were completely unaware of it, the fact that they never went to the state and said, hey, can we have the files from 40 years ago to see yeah. what Standard Oil told you was there? I mean, there was one line in one of the stories that said it was so bad they weren't going to be able to use acetylene torches to cut apart the tanks because of what it would do to the toxins. It's like this was dangerous, oh, dangerous stuff. Governor Rhodes, as soon as he saw the report, said, no way, no how, we're not going there. Slam the door on it after it was on the eve. So here we are. Last night we're on the eve of this we break this story it's another reason that it's a good thing that we're still around because nobody else was breaking this story and they're voting this morning i i just can't wait to hear how jeff applebaum and armand budish's administration tries to spin this the prosecutor mike o'malley who has wanted them to slow down for some time of course took the opportunity when he talked to caitlin last night to say slow down yeah. So. Yeah, I can't wait. We're 45 minutes out from the start of this meeting, and and this this story of ours hit hit uh, last night, and can't wait to see how it plays. <laughs> the, the most the, one of the little amusing things about this is Joe Rice is a longtime 
known in town, longtime journalist and public relations guy. He's back on the front page of the plane dealer today. That's right. <laughs> These were Joe Rice stories right. back in the 80s. So he's, yes. so he's back on the front page. Check it out on the plane <laughs> dealer. Check it out on cleveland.com. It's good work, good watchdog work by our newsroom. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the big road construction projects that will be gumming up our local travel during the orange barrel season that started Monday? Laura, this is always a dreaded season, but it's a good thing because it makes the roads last longer and makes us safe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the joke, right, that there are like two seasons in Ohio, winter or construction. But ODOT is planning $2 billion in 829 infrastructure projects this year. That includes uh, 70 projects in District 12, which is Cuyahoga Lake and Geauga counties, 90 projects in District 3, that's Medina, Lorraine, Erie, Huron, Richland, Ashland, Wayne, and Crawford, and 80 projects in District 4, which includes Summit, Ashtabula, Mahoning, Portage, Stark, and Trumbull counties. So that's a whole Big bunch yeah, yeah, of yeah, but the, the number of the projects isn't what people want to know. How screwed up is 90 going to be? How screwed up is 480 well, going to be? How screwed up is 271 going to be? Those are all on this list. So Interstate 90 is getting bridge repairs in Rocky River and Lakewood and, and painting in there. There'll be off-peak lane restrictions on I-90. There'll be one, uh, one lane on Train Avenue. That's actually already started. It won't be done until October 2023. That's a $7 million project. Uh, in Summit County, um, I-77, I which has been a mess for a while, is going to get even worse. Both bridges over Ohio 21 and Copley Township are going to be replaced. They're going to keep two lanes of traffic, but you know, move the traffic over to do that. That won't end until August of 2024. But 480s on this list, uh, we'll see adding a third lane and 480 West at Interstate 71 at Ohio 237 and Grayton Road. They'll be resurfacing between the Rocky River Bridge and West 139th Street. And that will be done in June 2023. So none of these are short projects. I saw they're going to scrape up all the asphalt on 271 again and replace it. It seems like they do that about every second or third year. But because they take such good care of it, it's very quick. They grind it off, and then a week later, it's repaved. And yeah. by by continuously taking care of that, it doesn't turn into the massive tear up all the concrete, start from scratch kind of project. Right, uh, and that's that's the express lanes resurfacing they're talking about this year, and that's uh, Beechwood, Lindhurst, Mayfield Heights, Pepper, Pepper Pike, White, Warrensville, and Orange. And so that's actually going to start in May and be done by October. So you're right, that is really quick, and you can just avoid that by staying off of the express lanes. Plus, I think they're trying to do it mostly at nighttime. Right. But right. Um, yeah, we'll be we're all going to be seeing it on all the highways. It and, begins. Yeah. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why do Governor Mike DeWine and the other Republicans on the Ohio Redistricting Commission say the Supreme Court should not hold them in contempt of court for defying the court's orders on a process for drawing the new maps? Lisa, the court told them, work together, hire outside map makers, get this done. And at the 11th hour, they decided to go another way. In filings with the Ohio Supreme Court yesterday, uh, DeWine's attorney, Marion Little, said that the time constraints set on the redistricting committee created two impossible choices, which they think is no choice at all. They could either approve the maps from those bipartisan independent map makers without reviewing it for flaws, 
or they could approve a slightly changed version of the previously rejected GOP plan, which they're trying to do through a three-judge federal panel. So they're like, we had no choice at all. You gave us impossible choices. Why should we be held in contempt for that? Uh, The Democratic plaintiffs in the lawsuits uh, against the redistricting commission say the Supreme Court could use this contempt filing if they agree to do it to force the commission to produce constitutional maps but dewine says well that request is quote abusive although the the map makers they hired said they could get it done so it's going to be interesting to see if they get held in contempt we still have our dream of them being in orange jumpsuits in a cell being forced to draw maps together before they can get out so (laughs) we'll be waiting on the supreme court to see what their decision is You're listening to Today in Ohio. This is Cuyahoga County Incompetence Today Day because the next two stories deal with that. How is Dave Wondolowski getting back on the Port Authority board after Mayor Justin Bibb decided (laughs) to not reappoint him following the revelation that Wondolowski played a key role in a controversial attack on Bibb during his campaign for mayor? Layla, he didn't just participate in the attack on Bibb. He did everything possible to torpedo Bibb's campaign in support of Kevin Kelly. He's a close ally of Bill Mason, Armin Budish's chief of staff. So it was a legitimate decision by Bibb to say, you're done. I don't want people like you representing us on the port board. So how's he getting back? This is really kind of unbelievable. <laughs> so listeners will remember that Wondolowski, he's the executive secretary of the Cleveland Building and Construction Trades Council. He he fancies himself a political kingmaker. He enjoys a, a bunch of political appointments uh, to boards. Um, you know, he got himself in a bind when he said during that Kevin Kelly for mayor campaign rally that he and Kelly's followers would, you know, kick the S out of Bibb in, in the election. And, and, you know, a comment that many thought was a veiled threat. And he also has been tied to that dark money campaign that many say turned out a racist attack ad on Bibb. So naturally, a little while back, Bibb told Wondolowski that his time on the Port Authority board was up. He was not renewing his appointment, which was set to expire this month. And the mayor gets six appointments and the county executive gets three. I'm sure you can all see where this story is headed. <laughs> Yesterday we learned, uh, and, and we give props to Scene for reporting this first. They, they, they nabbed it. Yeah, Sam Allard got it. Good job, Sam. Yep, good job. County Executive Armand Budish has reappointed, or is plans to reappoint Wondolowski to the port board. He is recommending Wondolowski to serve the remaining half of a four-year term that expires in September 2024. Wondolowski would replace Jan Roller, whose official term expired in 20. 20, but who has continued to hold the seat. Roller was, she was the first woman to chair the board. She told Caitlin that, you know, well, basically she was hoping Budish's successor would reappoint her to the board, but that she didn't expect Budish to, to do it because she told him that she wouldn't support his reelection uh-huh. when he was still deciding whether is. to pursue a third term. And everyone knows how Budish was about that. And, you know, that's a lot to unpack there. So, Chris, I'll let you get into that one if you, well, that, <laughs> if you that, want that, to tee it up well, for we you. We should point out, Jan Roller is quite a respected person in town, Serves on has served on multiple boards, is really viewed as one of the, the cream of Northeast Ohio. So there, there's no reason not to reappoint her. The mm-hmm. the this what this reminded me of was Corey Schaefer's story back around Christmas 
redetailed Armin Budish's revenge plan where he had sketched right. out how he was going to stick it to the residents in county council wards where the county council members were not backing him. He was going to punish their residents right. and then had a staff meeting to map out the timing of it. It wasn't just meandering writing. He was actually taking action to stick it to county taxpayers. It revealed Armin Budish to be about the most vengeful, venal person to hold public office since Richard Nixon. This is another example of that. He's he's not just sticking it to Jan Roller because she wouldn't support him. He's slapping Justin Bibb in the face, right? He knows Justin Bibb Absolutely. took offense at this, and he's putting him in there as a, a just a venal slap. And it's not a surprise that Wanda Lasky is a big buddy of Bill Mason. Bill Mason is Budish's chief of staff. I, I would hope the county council would bring some sanity to this and seeking to have a decent relationship with Justin Bibb would reject this because they have to approve it, right? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And so it's in their hands. <laughs> and they've never had and... any guts. So we can expect them to give it a resounding confirmation. Yeah, I mean, Bo well, Budish's time in office, is his days are numbered. And so if they know what's good for them... They should reject this. What's, a, this is, what's amazing about this is we talked earlier about how the county government did not realize its number one site for jail was rejected as a prison site 40 years ago for contamination because they're not doing their job. It's probably because this is how they're spending their time, coming up with these little venal plots to stick <laughs> it to people instead of doing their job, which is to serve the residents of Cuyahoga County. Yeah. There you go. All right, we got another one to talk about. Let's move on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. <laughs> How did a man accused of aggravated murder in Cleveland get released from, wait for it, the Cuyahoga County Jail by mistake? <laughs> Laura, Adam Faris has written a number of stories over the past couple of years about inmates mistakenly being released, dangerous felons or accused felons being released into the street. Now it's an aggravated murder case. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no explanation of how this could happen. That basically this county's like, we don't know. But his name is Cornell Gray. He's 22, charged in the April 2021 shooting that killed Marvin Keith in Cleveland. He was released on March 18th, and they didn't even realize that he was released erroneously until police officers discovered it on Sunday that he was no longer in the jail. And the county sheriff's Christopher Vilan released a statement that offered no details. This guy actually was taken out of Texas on February 10th and extradited back to Cuyahoga County. He arrived at the jail on March 15th, and then he made this court appearance in a separate case of having weapons under disability. He got a bond set in that case, and then apparently was released on bond. He never even had a hearing, a court appearance at all on the aggravated murder charge. Well, I, it's got to just flummox the marshal's office because right. they go out and find <laughs> fugitives and wanted people right. and bring them in thinking okay we're, we're making the community safer and then they just let them go it's just it's in because they forgot to mark that oh in addition to what he was originally wanted for there's an aggravated murder charge Right. I mean, they went and they arrested him in Houston, Texas. They did all the work to get him back to the jail. And then the jail didn't even have a, a, a court hearing on on this aggravated 
charge and didn't even know that they let him out without any without without them supposing to and then the county just throws up its hand and says we don't know what happened but you're right this has happened a lot and Adams detailed tons of cases there were five inmates mistakenly released in 2020 including three inmates in one day <laughs> I mean and then four in 2019 and one in 2021 this is not a good track record I mean I know we want to reduce the jail population but this is not the way to do it well maybe this is the answer we don't need a new jail we're just not going <laughs> to hold anybody <laughs> all right it's a it's another head scratcher again with no accountability what do you think Layla will Arma Budish put out a video to explain it <laughs> <laughs> I've been referring to these videos as his uh, golden opportunities 2.0. <laughs> they also, <laughs> that's funny, Layla. They also have a podcast, a county podcast. So maybe they're discussing it on, on that. Yeah, um, I'm sure it's must listen kind of material. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are anti-hunger advocates seeking now that pandemic-caused easing of rules for school breakfast and lunches is coming to a close? Lisa, there's a lot of worries about children getting nutritious meals this summer. Yeah, what's happening here is that the $1.5 trillion federal spending bill has no additional money for free student meals or flexibility of the program during the pandemic. Because during the pandemic, the uh, National School Lunch Program only serves lunches in congregate settings, meaning in a school or a cafeteria. So they eased those rules during the pandemic when schools were closed so kids could go to the school and get grab-and-go lunches. And, you know, and often they were given several meals at a time, not just breakfast or not just lunch. But once the school year ends in June they will no longer be able to do that. There will be no funding for that. And these flexibilities go away. So the Children's Hunger Alliance is very worried about children going hungry this summer. Their CEO, Judith Mobley, says they need at least $250,000 to continue those grab-and-go meals that will be prohibited after June. Um, she says 70% of Ohio sites distribute meals that will violate these rules in June, so she's extremely worried. Well, you know, let's keep the county incompetence theme. The county council is preparing to give each other $6 million slush funds from the American Rescue Plan money. Why couldn't they, instead of giving themselves slush funds, put some of the money toward feeding children after they lose the ability to get these meals? That's a good, good that's a good I, that's a good question. Uh, Re, uh, Representative Jay Edwards, who is a Republican from Athens, he's looking to see if Ohio can use ARPA funds, unused ARPA funds for the summer food programs. He says if it is okay to use the money in that way, he will sponsor a bill to get funding for summer lunches. All right. Well, we'll keep on this and report back when we know a little bit more. It's today in Ohio. What is the role being played by Cleveland native Anthony White? as part of the Joe Biden administration in the Treasury Department. Layla, we had a decent story about this guy. He's doing some good work. Yes, Anthony White is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Community Engagement at the Treasury, and, and his job is to help civil rights groups, faith-based organizations, and private companies engage directly with the Treasury Department and its senior staff to make sure its policies and implementation of laws like the American Rescue Plan are benefiting traditionally underserved communities. So, for example, Sabrina Eaton writes that White worked on a national day of action with the Church of God in Christ, where the presiding bishop publicized emergency rental assistance programs to about 9 million parishioners. And he also worked with Walmart 
on this digital and in-store display ad campaign to let its customers know <clears throat> how to access the child tax credit. And about 270,000 people used the t child tax credits portal for the first time through Walmart's website because of that partnership. And that is just amazing. And, and when Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb visited the White House a few weeks ago, or a few weeks before being sworn into office, White's team arranged for him and other mayors to meet with Treasury and, and White House officials who oversee you know, the, the dissemination of infrastructure and, and COVID relief money. So this is just a wonderful profile of White and, and his personal story is so compelling. It's just full of heartbreak and overcoming personal trauma and hardship. He, he and his siblings were raised by their grandparents because their parents struggled mightily with substance abuse. And in fact, his father suffered a particularly horrible drug-related death. And um, But White is an extraordinary person doing extraordinary things. And everyone should check out the profile on, on Cleveland.com. It's it's uh, it's wonderful, wonderful journalism by Sabrina. Yeah, Dean. Sabrina did a nice piece on it. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. With parking at a premium in University Circle, why is the nonprofit that operates the circle planning to tear down a 346-space parking garage? Laura, there's not enough parking in University Circle. Anybody who goes to Little Italy knows mm -hmm. that. Why would you get rid of a garage that's that big? Well, they say it's not safe. This is, yeah, it dates to the late 60s, and University Circle says it's exceeding its youthful lights useful lifespan and it is necessary to demolish the structure for the safety of the community but wait 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 it's still safe to park in at least until june 30th when they're that's going to be the last day they say they're monitoring it weekly and will clear out immediately if there's any change we don't know what the plans are for the site but this is near a planned three-story 12-unit building of micro apartments on hessler road that was planned for nearby even though construction hasn't begun and they had pledged to make parking spots available for those residents so I'm not sure if that has any uh, play in this. It would be interesting to do a story where we look at all of the available parking in University Circle and whether there's a strategy to make sure that they continue to maintain it. Losing 346 spaces yeah. is going to make things more, more dense up there. Right. And so I mean, it's a public parking garage. Anyone could park in it. But it was used a lot by Case Western Reserve, the students and the staff. And you're right. I mean, anytime you even go to one of the museums, they do have their own parking. But a lot of times it's not enough. And it's always tight to find a spot. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why are 200,000 Ohio households suddenly in the market for new energy providers? Lisa, I don't know about you, but I always find this process of picking who's going to provide your electricity or your gas to be incredibly tedious. To suddenly have to drop everything and start over would be annoying. Oh, I know. When I moved from Texas, I'm like, what do you mean about these energy aggregators, of which Volunteer Energy Services is? It's an energy aggregator, mostly in Stark and Medina counties. They don't have any aggregations in Cuyahoga, but they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy last month. They are the aggregator of energy for 139 local governments uh, for both electricity and natural gas, and that equals about 200,000 homes. These customers will not lose their service. In the interim, they will be assigned to a local utility as a default. Uh, volunteer customers will get a notice of this default from PUCO, the Public Utilities Commission, and they will have a chance to choose a new provider. So they will get a default provider, but they will be able to choose a new provider. 
Yeah, but it, that's always a hassle because you, you start from scratch and you're looking for people that know what they're talking about to give you the best advice. The state has some sites that are supposed to help you choose, but they're not always the easiest to deal with. I wonder if we should put some stories together to help people pick. Yeah, and I, I was, uh, you know, I was aggressively courted by a salesman and I was moved from NOPEC to Constellation and I had to stay on them for three years. But quite honestly, I really didn't see a difference in, in rates at all. So I'm not sure what aggregation is supposed to do exactly. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. I sent a note out on subtext this morning about the jail story we opened the podcast with. Received quite a few comments saying, you know, we're glad you're here. We're glad that there's a watchdog. But I also got this. Just another example of plain dealer endorsed political candidates and appointees displaying once again locks of gross incompetence. So I guess it's our <laughs> fault. <laughs> Can't win. Yeah. No, no. The overwhelming number are are just very glad and amazed that they, they could have been this incompetent. But the one guy's right. We have endorsed the people that are involved in this and it. It, it does boggle the mind. Makes you wonder whether we should stop endorsing because you know, the choices are so weak. I mean, we're going through well, it now. Well, you know, you don't, we don't have a crystal ball, right? right. You don't know what people it, are it, capable of or how, how dumb they can and be. I think well, and the other, let's face it, if there's two candidates that are, that are both weak, we feel like, well, the voters have to cast a vote, so we have to make mm-hmm. a decision even if we don't like any of them. And so we endorse them, even though we don't think they're great candidates. I don't know. I right? think endorsements serve as a as a public service, personally. Um, you know, because people often go into the voting booth uninformed, especially on down ballot races, and they might vote for somebody just oh, pick a name, and then find out that say their new school superintendent wants to bring God back into the classroom or something. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's a, a public service. But it, it, I mean, I would also argue that vo- voters have the choice to not vote for any of the mm-hmm. candidates if none of them are good mm-hmm. enough. And, you know, and it, we, too, can make that choice. It's not like an endorsement is just like vote for blank. I mean, like it's a nuanced explanation of, of where p- candidates stand. And I do think they're informative. And Lisa's right. I do think people go to a, the ballot and they especially if they're in the ballot box, and they haven't done the research. I think feel like with voting from home, people have a lot more time to make a decision. But they'll be like, oh, I recognize that name, mm-hmm. even though they might recognize the name for, for some horrible backstory. But um yeah, I I would love to go back and read the endorsement for Budish. What was that? Twenty. Right. Don't you wish you could go back in time and <laughs> and endorse Jack Tron? I mean, with all we know now, we endorsed him, and he has been a nightmare. The, we, the number of the stories we talked about on this podcast involve that. So yes, we did endorse Armin Budish, and you can hold that against us. That's it for today in Ohio. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. Come on back Wednesday for another discussion about the news. Mm-hmm.